0: And in keeping with the, the conversation, we're just going to have a conversation today. All right. I, uh, I want to be sensitive about the topic. And I feel the only way to be sensitive about the topic is to do something different and just uh just have a little conversation. All right. All right. So, we we'll, we can read this passage and then we just going to talk, all right? I'm okay with getting fired today. I have security to walk me to the car. All right. <laughs> I I have spent the pandemic getting completely out of debt and building my six-month emergency fund, so I got time to find a job. All right, there you go. <laughs> All right. Let us read verses 18 through 25. Now, we have been working our way through 1 Peter, and I, I told you the, the topic of this, this whole series on 1 Peter is called Struggle Well. And for for the last two Sundays, and we got two more Sundays, this Sunday and next Sunday to go on this topic. It's not an easy topic. I have gotten feedback about the topic. I understand that the topic of submission is a very difficult topic. So today we're talk we're gonna we're looking at a passage that is difficult for us as modern People giving out historical background in America with slavery. To, this is a difficult passage to go through. So I want to talk about it instead of just giving a sermon. Because I recognize for some people it's it's emotional. There's nothing I can say that is going to hit correctly. So let's take our time. And this Sunday we're going to give you an opportunity stop at any moment. Raise your hand. Ask a question. we just going to talk. All right. Now, passage, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18, 18 through 25, it says, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable if because of conscience towards God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if, when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, excuse me, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Let us pray. God help us. Amen. (laughs) All (laughs) right. Here we go. All right. Let me start off with objections, objections to this topic, what we just had. What's, what what are common, ob- not necessarily you may have, what are common objections to a passage like this? <laughs> Trey got <Godesa? laughs> <Was that you>? answer. <laughs> I'm Michelle. Okay. Immediately, first sentence: Be submissive to your masters. Okay, and, and why? Why is that the first objection? Because of the word slave. Cause we're a slave. Okay. Una. Because we're free. Okay. So your your issue is: How does this apply to us today? It does. It doesn't. Okay. Well, we'll wait to the end. <laughs> Tina. Okay, so you're saying that it applies today as far as employees and employers. Yeah. Okay. 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 Okay, so how do you submit to someone who is harsh towards you? Revalved, he just, just, uh, Mine too. <laughs> Anybody else? Okay. Okay. Anybody else? Historical reasons why we would have objections to this, <laughs> Tina. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> she she understood what you meant. <laughs> All right. Um, I think that. It is difficult for us in our uh, society to to really cope or address top passages like this because of the, the issue of slavery in America. Right. Um, number one. And then I, I, I thought when was going to say it, we, it really doesn't apply today. But again, passages like this have to apply today because um I was gonna say not in America, but it, it it is true in America as well. There's more slavery in our world today than there ever was in the last 400 years in America. Okay. Um, again, anybody in here wearing Nikes? You know your shoes were made by slaves in China. Those TVs that you buy. There are a million. Uyghur Muslims in slave camps in China right now making all of the products that we buy. Now, if you would like to pay two to three times the price that you pay right now, we should be fighting that injustice. But you know why you don't say anything and ignore it? Because you don't want to pay $300 for those Nikes instead of 150 Every year. Christians and Muslims are rounded up in China to make all of the products that we use. And we don't have a problem with it. We only have a problem with slavery from the last 400 years in America. All other slavery we ignore. We ignore the fact that 80% of the people who come across our borders every single day is in some way either sexually assaulted or they're coming here for some form of slavery. When we're watching the Super Bowl behind the scenes, there's a lot of slaves in America being used in industries around our country to support the Super Bowl and all of the other things that we support. Slavery has not ended. So... I know that we may say, oh, well, there's no no real application to us today. There's applications for some people today in this passage. Um, Now, our application is going to be, I guess, more on the lines like Tina says, as far as how we're supposed to, you know, know, respond to employers um, and how we should respond to them, whether they are harsh or nice or whatever. Um, But we have to always keep in our minds that all over the world, Slavery is continuing, and we just ignore it right so um we back to the to the passage first of all, we have to keep in mind that slavery in the greco Roman world was not the same type of slavery that we experienced in America, all right We can't read um you know, American chattel slavery that is based on race back into the Bible. That is not a concept that was, I mean, that concept would have been foreign to them. I took this paragraph out of, uh, there's a commentary called True to Our Native Land. It's a commentary actually written by African Americans um, on the New Testament. This is what they say about slavery uh, in the time that Peter would have been writing. It says, a slave was a slave and seldom more than a slave, regardless of the position she or he held or any material wealth amassed and how much she or he contributed to the master's wealth. A hierarchy of estates existed in the Roman Empire early and late, which from top down consisted of senatorial and equestrian orders, the freeborn plebs and rural peasantry, the slave born free and those still in the status of slave however juridical status was not always an indicator of social status i'll explain this in a minute persons on the lower rung of the ladder with low juridical status could achieve higher social status based on training annual education position and wealth and by being sold to a master of greater social rank so again if you were a slave that did not mean you could not move up in society and slaves who were were owned by people who had a higher status so like caesar the emperor his slaves actually had higher status than the other free people in society right um social mobility in rome is thus seen as a process of status dissonance by which persons rate highly on some criteria of status such as ability achievement wealth but low on others, such as birth or legal condition. This status dissonance is most striking among the slaves and free persons of the household of Caesar. Slaves and free persons in the imperial household possess greater social status than their counterparts in the wider Roman Empire because of the elevated status of their master or patron, the emperor. Imperial freedmen and slaves had access to positions of power in the state, which were totally inaccessible to other slaves and freedmen outside of the familia, right? That's talking about Caesar's household. Uh, Here's the part I want to point out. Freedmen did not always hold higher posts than slaves. Freedmen did not always hold higher posts than slaves. Two notable exceptions and examples of status dissonance in which slaves held higher positions than freedmen were the dispensatories and the vicari. As powerful financial advisors, the dispensatories, all of whom were slaves, supervised cash receipts and payment transactions. Slaves were deemed more suitable for these positions because the emperor could exercise greater control over the slave and thus over their monies. The vicari also slaves were the assistants and deputies of dispensatores. Thus, the vicari were slaves of slaves. The vicari wielded considerable influence in the financial administration and were destined to be promoted to the grade of dispensatory. While these slaves experienced status dissonance relative to freed persons, imperial freed persons rarely experienced the same type of status dissonance relative to freeborn persons. In general, the emperors refused to risk the alienation of the upper echelons of society by the massive promotion of freedmen to equestrian dignity. Upward mobility between the equestrian and senatorial orders was regular and common, indeed inevitable. But upward mobility of imperial free persons to equestrian status, regardless of their higher status relative to most other slaves and free persons, constituted a mere trickle. Now, what is he tr- I'm saying here? What he is saying is that just because a person was a slave did not mean that they were the lowest person in society, right? Um, They go on to say that many slaves lived miserable lives, particularly those who worked in the mines. Other slaves, however, served as doctors, teachers, managers, musicians, artisans, and could even own other slaves. It would not be unusual for a slave to be better educated than his master. Slavery in the Greco-Roman world was not based on race. Right. Right. Slaves were more educated than their masters because it had nothing to do with, I mean, it it was about status, but it wasn't based on what we see in America, okay? Um, Again, if we go back to the Gospels, how many parables did Jesus talk about slaves who ran their master's households? right? The reason that that was so common is because slavery then, a lot of it, not all of it, and I'm not saying that it was great, it was horrible, right? Um but a lot of the slavery back then is what we would have called indentured servitude right People sometimes would if they were got into financial trouble they didn't have bankruptcy laws like we have okay and so they would they would sell themselves into into slavery because the master would be required to take care of them financially and other and for other reasons right so so you had people who were doctors and lawyers and 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 having all kinds of careers, different careers. But who were also at times slaves. Um, so we, I don't want us to read what we know in America as slavery into this passage. Okay, Una. Some of us do. (laughs) Right. Yeah, I would say, I I think that we have to think of slavery in in terms of a continuum. I think that they absolutely had, I mean, uh, it was different in some respects, but in some ways it was the same. I mean, they did not have protections like we have today. So, um, you know, they could be beaten by... By their masters, um, they could be physically assaulted. I mean, um, one of the things that uh, that the church, when it came to power in the 300s, dealt with immediately was the treatment of slaves because um, slaves could be branded on their face. Right. And and Christians, when they did not have power to my my, my next point, they they did not challenge slavery head on immediately upon getting power they dismantled it um so so i i would say uh, you know slavery is, is more of a continuum it's not like oh this was their slavery this was our slavery there was some there's some overlap in the treatment of, of how they they treated slaves um but again you had people you know same as you know as as i guess when when modern slave when slavery was happening here, you had people who were speaking out saying you should not treat slaves this way, right? Um, so I I think it's, it was a continuum. D- you know, back then, everything in context. Everything in context. You know, my answer to it is, is that we take the Bible, and apply it to our day because we don't live in the exact same circumstances of, of that time. We don't have masters today. So the question is, how do we apply the passage? You can't say, well, the passage doesn't apply to us. We have to ask, how does it apply? And so I think that the easiest way to say that it applies is going to be for most of us in the work environment, that if you have a supervisor or someone that is, that is whether they are a good, good boss or a bad boss, our responsibility as Christians is to respond in a way that honors God. And we can't we can't be like, oh, I don't like them. So I'm just going to disobey them. Right. It's just uh, we have to re- we have to respond in a way that that <laughs> that honors God. hit ahead. Great question. Why does God allow slavery? You know, um, um, I, I did. I had some thinking on um, on this a while ago. When I was in seminary, I took this class on missions, and um, it's funny. I, I know the teacher gave this answer the way he did it, and then s- got quiet to stop us to to let us think. But I was like, "Oh, that man is bold. I wish I had bold boldness like him." So. I think someone asked a similar question and he talked about um, slavery in in the book of Exodus, right? The Jews. And so his question to the group was, God has a will for everybody's life. What was God's will for the the lives of those Jews who were enslaved for 400 years? You know, everybody back and forth. and, And so he said this. I was like, oh, this dude is crazy. He about to get it. He said for at least three hundred and nine, you know, they were slave for four hundred years. For at least three hundred and ninety-nine of those years, God's will for their life was to be born a slave, to live as a slave, and to die as a slave. And then he stopped talking, and I was like, "I'm just waiting for him to get fired." <laughs> I'm like, "This dude is crazy." <laughs> but after after the discussion and thinking about it, I'm like, I get his point. God's point is—I mean, his point was, God could have stopped it the first year; he didn't even have to allow it at all. So, if he did, he had a reason for it. So, me wrestling with 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 um th- like these topics, I think that the answer is, if we are consistent with everything that the Bible teaches, is number one, God doesn't stop all injustices; we sin. And so God allows us to take the consequences of our sin. Right. We we wanted to live in rebellion against God. And therefore, God allows us to take the consequences of those actions. And slavery is just uh, uh, one of the evils of this world that he will deal with when he returns. Now The second thing I think I'll, I would say after wrestling with this is, is God is all about object lessons. Right. God wanted to teach us. How bad our sin is. If Jesus just dropped from the sky one day and got up on the cross, will we understand what he did? No. So what did God do? For 2,000 years, God implemented a system where they had to go and sacrifice animals, shed the blood of these animals in order to deal with their sin. Okay, So that on when Jesus got on the cross, they were like, oh, I get it. I, I understand. Right. Jesus is dying for us the same way we had to sacrifice these animals in order to atone for our sin. I think it's the same. We can say the same thing with um, uh, with slavery. Paul in Romans repeatedly talks about slavery in reference. i um, 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 sin as slavery. Sin is slavery. How does God teach us objectively what how bad sin is? Every single time, every single time we think about the slave trade or anything like that, we should think that's what sin is like in my life. So I think that God allows things and he uses them to teach us lessons about how how bad, evil, sin, injustice all is so that we can long for him and for heaven. Do all? Hmm. Um. No, I would say. Well, two things. Number one, I think that again, our laws and things are different. Today, so, what we need to do is use every legal avenue and uh, of course you know law enforcement avenue to to end those things, put those things to an end again eighty at this moment today, eighty thousand women and young girls are missing in our country involved in sex slavery okay um so I wouldn't say n- say that they're supposed to obey their masters. I don't think that that's what. Is, is with the, uh, an application of, of the passage. I think that that given our context, the answer would be, we need to figure out how to get them out of that slavery and put it an into it, right? Um, but again, the issue in, in Peter's time and in Paul's time is what happens when you live in a society that does not have these types of protections? where you can't get people out of these types of types of situations. Right. So. So, no, I don't I don't think that the answer today, according to what um, Peter's um, thing is like, just just obey your master. Um, Even in this text, I will look at this in a second, where Peter is talking about where he says that if you are beaten, beaten for doing good, he's talking about disobeying your master. Right. And we'll and we'll see that in, in just one second. Um so no, I don't think that the answer is is obedience to um to your master. It is we need to try to work to put an end to these to these uh to these um these types of injustices. Um so my question is, since today our goal would be to put an end to these type of injustices, why does the two people in the New Testament, we can talk about any of those the authors of the New Testament, why do none of them either criticize the practice or call for the overthrow of it? I just gave you the answer actually why does P- Peter and Paul not call for the overthrow of the institution of slavery in, in the text? Paul addresses this issue, Peter addresses the issue why do they not say we need to resist, we need to overthrow these uh, slave masters, why didn't they not say that? Um n- no, they were b- they, uh, they both were Jews, living in a in Roman society. So I don't think they would have been coming from different different aspects. Uh, Michelle, then Derek. Okay, so their emphasis on obeying the Lord. Okay. Okay, Derek. Okay? Anybody else? Um, I think I think what you're saying is is good. Let me let me let me just ask this question to uh, move this along. Um, why didn't let's just let's just pick a year. Let's say 17, you know, 99. Why didn't every single slave just walk off the plantation and be like, "Yo, we're not doing this no more"? They didn't have weapons. No place to go. Fear. This wasn't their land, okay? All right, so again, the reason that they could not overthrow the the practice was because they didn't have any power, okay? Now, imagine you have a group of Christians, probably at this time maybe numbering 10,000 people, in an empire that stretches from Africa all the way to India. And you have people who are looking for an opportunity to just to crucify people. I mean, think about it. When Jesus was a baby, he when he came back into uh, into Israel, he would have passed through. We know historically they captured two thousand Jews who rebelled against uh, against Rome and crucified all of them and lined them up along the road so people can know don't play with us. So if Peter and Paul said, "All right, this is what y'all going to do. Y'all going to sit up here and fight the Romans." <laughs> that would have that that would have ended very badly, not only for the Christians, but for Christianity itself. There would have been no opportunity to spread the gospel, right? So we don't see as a practical matter, you don't see them calling for the overthrow uh, of slavery because again, this is something that had been entrenched in society for hundreds of years. What they did instead was they advocated for spreading the gospel and living a lifestyle that would undermine the institution of slavery itself. Okay, So we'll see. I mean, we're going to go to the book of Philemon later, um, um, next year probably. But, but Paul, in Philemon, he tells Philemon, who was a Christian who owned slaves, he says, listen, I could command you to do the right thing. I'm not going to command you, but I'm telling you, you need to do the right thing. And what does he say the right thing is as a Christian? You need to free your slaves. Right? So you, you need to free your slaves and you need to treat your slaves as your brother in Christ. Right. So they sowed the seeds to undermine the injustice without taking it on directly. And we know that that's what they did, because, again, when you get to the three hundreds, when Christians were stopped being persecuted, we know up until that point they were being killed just for being Christians. When Constantine came to power and he did away with the persecution of Christians and started to allow them freedom in society and involvement in government and stuff like that immediately they took on the issue of slavery. As a matter of fact, it was the church who got it enshrined into law that the church could free slaves. Local bishops, by law, had the right to go and free slaves. So it just took time. They didn't attack it head on because they could not. But they worked to undermine the practice until they had the ability to do so. Everybody get that. If not, it would have ended the same way that things ended with Nat Turner. Right. I mean, what they killed, maybe 60 people on their side. And then what more than 200 slaves were killed. They lost their right to have freedom, you know, to to worship. Right. They had to have a a, a white clergy person at all of their assemblies they lost their freedom to 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 congregate all of these things right so so again peter was not and paul were not trying to go the the route of armed conflict because they knew they were going to lose that they understood that the gospel itself is the only thing that could transform the human heart and do away with all injustices all right everybody everybody get that, get my point all right now um Alright, now in this passage, right, a couple things that I um that I want to, want to point out to you in the passage. This is something that is common. I think the very fact that Peter and 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 Paul talked about this subject um is, is proof that they were under trying to undermine slavery. All right. Um now again, Greek Roman philosophers had talked about what we call household codes, right? So they talked about um how a slave was supposed to interact with a master how children were supposed to interact with their parents, how husbands and wives were supposed to interact, right? So they had talked about this for hundreds of years. There was pretty much universal agreement on on these roles, okay? And and it was all unjust, okay? Um, Paul um, addresses the topic. We Remember back to Ephesians chapter 5 and in Colossians chapter 3, he addresses the exact same thing, slaves and masters, parents and children, husbands and wives. Peter here is addressing um, uh, the same thing. Here he talks about um, slaves and masters, and then next week, (laughs) next week he talks about husbands and wives. All right, so we probably just have another sit-down discussion. (laughs) when we say, "Wives submit to your husbands." I'm like, "Oh Lord, we got we're going to have to fight this." But um, but uh, but again, um, they're addressing something that would have been important to society. And he's talking about it in a way that is going to be distinctly Christian. If you were to go look at the household codes that Greek moral philosophers had thought, and you compare it to what Peter and Paul said, you would recognize very clearly that even though he says, you know, wives submit to your husbands, slaves submit to your masters," But then when you read everything else they said, you can see, wait a minute, they, he's not, they're not talking about the same thing. Th- they're definitely trying to undermine what was being taught in that society at the time but they had to do it in a way that would not make them look suspect because peter says here verse 19 he specifically uses the word unjust now in our um, version it said we have it says suffer wrongfully right so but again it's talking about something that is unjust He is saying that the treatment of these slaves is unjust. It is something that needs to be dealt with. But the question is, how are you supposed to deal with it when you don't have the power to change your situation immediately? The answer is when you cannot control your circumstances immediately, you control the one thing you have control over, and that is your own response. That's all you have control over. Right? When when you're in debt, you have to work. Right? You can't just be like, oh, I'm tired of this job, I'm quitting. Right? You got you gotta at least put up with it until you get another job. Right? Be- because again, back to what the Bible says is that debt is slavery. That's why they call it MasterCard. It's like the <laughs> <laughs> right but um you know d- that is slavery right we put up with a lot of stuff at work that we normally wouldn't put up with why because we need this job we got to pay the bills we got to feed our children right um so what do we do instead of every time our supervisor says something we don't like you like yo I'm tired of this I quit like no you'd be like you just go back to your desk and be like And then y'all get out on the parking lot and talk about it. Right. <laughs> right. We we understand that when we can't control our circumstance, we control the only thing that we have. And that's our response. That is what Peter is is saying here. Peter is saying in verses. Uh, um, he says, you know, s- submit to your masters um, with, with all fear. It's questionable about what he means with, with fear. Right. Because uh, just the verse before he says, fear God. So um, most likely, most commentators think that he's not saying be be afraid of your master. He's saying, bec- out of respect for God, you're supposed to respond in a way that honors God, right? um Not only to gentle, but also to harsh. For this is commendable if, because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if, when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. Now, notice when I remember when I was telling DeWall, I was saying that Peter is in this verse talking about disobedience to masters. He's saying because of your conscience towards God, right, you're suffering here. What he is saying is if you are being asked to do something, same thing we talked about last week, right? If you're being asked to do something that conflicts with your Christian belief. It is your responsibility to not be obedient. We don't disobey because our master or employer or boss is mean or harsh, right? If they say, you know, type this letter, it's like, I don't like you, I ain't doing that. Th- that's wrong. If they're asking you to commit a crime or something something simple, it is your responsibility, like I can't that conflicts with my with my my moral beliefs. And you have to be willing, as Martin Luther King said, to suffer the consequences of it. When you are protesting unjust laws and be arrested for it, Martin Luther King said you should go to jail happily. That's a part of the process, right? So if you have to disobey a command because of your conscience towards God and you suffer for it, you should suffer patiently. Right. So his point is that well, if you do something wrong at work and they punish you for it, I mean, why would you be upset about that? You should get punished. But if you're doing something right and you're punished for it, you should take it patiently because it is commendable. And the w- this word commendable is here three times. It means you will be rewarded by God. God will reward you for standing on principle and on c- on your conscience. When you disobey something that you know is wrong, anybody with me? Um. Now he goes on to say here that the reason that we are sup I'm um, supposed to um to do that <coughs> is because we have been called to this. What is the this? Patient suffering. Go back and read, I mean literally, all of Jesus' speeches in the gospel and tell me which one of them does not talk about suffering for people that follow him. Right? Patient suffering is Christianity. I know it's not Christianity in America because up until this point we have been the majority. I promise you. Wait a little while, (laughs) and we will all have to learn patient suffering. Okay, Um, culture is just going is just changing. I think it's a actually a good thing because now we can find out who was real and who was fake. (laughs) Right? It was like I'm just a cultural Christian. All right, y'all not gonna last after (laughs) last very long, (laughs) right? We have been called to patient suffering when we are in situations that we cannot change. And the reason he says that is because that is the example that Jesus set for us. He says Jesus committed no sin and yet he suffered. Right now, remember, Jesus is in the garden. Right. And Peter takes the sword and cuts off Malchus's ear. And Jesus was like, no, no, put the sword away. (laughs) Right. That's not how we're supposed to do this. He says, don't you know, I could say one word and a legion of angels would come and stop this. You know, a legion is five thousand angels. Jesus could just snap his finger. Five thousand angels, flaming swords could have came and took out everybody. But he didn't. He endured his suffering, which was unjust. He endured that suffering. And Peter says he set an example for us not only was his death what we call substitutionary atonement, right, where he, you know, he died for our sins, we committed the sins, but he died on our behalf so that he would take our punishment and we would get his reward for, for living a righteous lifestyle, right? Not only is his death efficacious for us as far as substitutionary atonement, it was an example for us that when we are in situations that we cannot change, it is our calling as a Christian to suffer in a way that brings glory to God's name and not undermine the gospel. Stand on this promise. Stand on this promise. So uh, uh, what when I, when I, when I'm trying to get us to see, right, um, is this world is unjust. And there's nothing we can do to make this world just, right? That doesn't mean that we shouldn't try, okay? So, so again, Christians have done horrible things in society, I mean, in in, in the world, throughout history, right? Um, but, but I would say, overall, the trajectory of Christianity has been to alleviate suffering versus the opposite, right? Um, you know, in the... You know, around the 1600s or so, we kind of lost our minds a little bit. But, <laughs> but, um, but, but overall the 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 trajectory of Christianity, when you look at, um, again the practice of slavery in the in the, in the ancient world that ended because of Christianity. Um, um, the treatment of 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 women in society changed because of because of Christianity. We can go through all these practices: hospitals, colleges, schools, all of these things. All are the product of Christianity and societies, right? Um, so I would say, as a whole, the idea is that 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 when Christianity took hold, it produced a better a better world. But before that could happen, people had to endure a lot of suffering and just trust that God was going to bring the reward. Now, the wo- reward sometimes happens in this life. Sometimes it's not going to happen until we get to the next life. But God is faithful to, to bring that that about what we have to be careful of is think thinking that the solution to injustice is just to tear down one institution and replace it with another institution. Right. Because what we fail what we fail to realize in that thinking is that we're just tearing down one oppressive. System to put another oppressive system in its place because we're kicking out one group of sinners and putting another group of sinners in, (laughs) right? So in some sense, there's going to be, there's just going to be a compilation of, of injustices. The only solution is the gospel. That's it. The only solution is the gospel. And I'll give you an example, two examples, actually. One is... This is exactly what the civil rights era was all about. Right. I mean, even when Martin Luther King, Martin Luther King, he went to India, he met with Gandhi and he met with Gandhi to find out his principles on nonviolent resistance and stuff like that. Well, where did Gandhi say he got his stuff, everything from? Jesus. (laughs) Right. Um, And so so all of these principles are rooted right back into scripture. So they, they they he comes back to America, and, and and what do they do? Now I know there's a disagreement about you know the the, the 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 movement you know as pushed by Martin Luther King versus you know the movement pushed by um, Malcolm X. Okay, um, but again I think that if if we l- if we look at the the actual evidence, I think that Martin Luther King was way more effective in changing hearts than Malcolm X was, right? Um, because when people saw people being um you know um sprayed with water hoses and and you know being beaten for sitting at ca- um, lunch counters or you know dogs being sicked on the, on them eventually people started saying look this this is too much they are enduring suffering in a patient way without fighting back that this is too much we got to deal with this right because the example of the gospel is what transforms hearts. Right? The the example of the gospel is what transforms hearts. When people see the gospel being done in real time in their face, it does something here. Right? Um, so I I, I would say that I, I think that that the solution is fight injustices, right? We see that all throughout Scripture. How many times in the book of Psalms does it say that, you know, God, you know, is the God of the, the oppressed, right? He 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 loves justice. Justice is the foundation of his throne, right? He is going to go after, on the day of judgment, he is going to deal with all injustices, right? Um But for for some reason, in God's wisdom, he doesn't deal with them right in the moment. And so the question is, what do we do? I think that we should take every legal action possible to deal with injustices in this world. We should resist them in every way. But we should never do it in a way that will undermine the gospel. Because the gospel is the only thing that can actually transform the human heart. Now, my second example is this. If um if the civil rights era was so effective, why are we dealing with racism today? Hearts haven't changed? But how do you do that? How do you change every level of society? yeah but then we passed laws in order to make those changes change and, and what no. <laughs> really do you re- do you do you do we realize that once we got s- the civil rights acts the voting rights Act, um, um all of these different laws enacted we had no more time for church. We don't need we don't need the gospel anymore. We have it, we have what we needed. And so, when you pass laws and you think that hey, you know, we have all of these rights now that automatically things are great. No, people just go underground with their with their views because they know it's not publicly acceptable. And so, we we dropped the ball because we failed to realize that People can go underground and do things in a covert way. The only way to change that is you got to change hearts. Right. So we, we, we stopped at the legal level and we didn't go. We didn't deal with the. With the heart level. Right? The only way and I've been saying this for like 10 years now. The only way to stop someone from hating you is to make them your brother in Christ. We we gotta we gotta stop just railing against white supremacy and stuff like that. And oh, those are bad people, and it, right. But how do we make them good people? We gotta bring them to Jesus. They have to come to know Jesus. That's the only way, to, to fix the. You share the gospel with them (laughs) because something is deficient in their gospel. Yes, I'm glad you said that. Let me let me, let me me say, I am in no way, and I don't think Peter is in any way um, saying uh, this either. I'm not saying that you're supposed to be a doormat and let people walk over you. Notice what he says. He said um, in this passage, he says um, let nothing frighten you, right? The submission should not be about I'm afraid of, of consequences. That's not what you know, you're supposed to be bold and in 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 your stance i'm not saying that's not my not my position a- at all i'm not saying that that I th- but th- the point i'm making is is that is you can stand up for yourself but at the in the same way make sure that the way you are doing it is honoring to god i think that's the um the the point i'm making because we can we can resist in a way that makes people say i don't want to know jesus I don't, that's not something I'm interested in. We all know, I mean, think about it. Okay, so um, you have uh, tons of, of, of Christian organiz- um, organizations, not necessarily churches. I'm thinking about one in particular, right? Uh, one Christian organization that that um, opposes like gay marriage and things like that. Um, and, and, and how do they show it? They go to military funerals of people who are gay and protest. And they have signs that say, "Come to Jesus, why why would I, why would I want to come to him? I mean that, I mean like these people are grieving, and you are protesting a funeral and say, "Now come to Jesus, why would I want to do that? I mean, like I said last last week, you know you, we got signs that say, you know, Jesus is Lord." while we are attacking the U.S. Capitol. Why would I worship a Jesus like that? That don't even make sense. <laughs> like, that don't even make sense, right? So, what all I'm saying is, is that, is, however we respond as Christians, we have to remember that it is not about how it makes us look, right? Because, I mean, there's a lot of times where in my mind I just be like, Y'all just want to smack you. It's like people just, you know, it's like people just say, people. it's funny how people say certain things and they'd be like, well, you're a pastor, you can't respond back. I'd be like. <laughs> you know, people just get smart with pastors because they'd be like, you know, you can't say nothing back because it's going to make you look bad. I'd just be like, yo, I don't care about none of this stuff. <laughs> you know, but, you know, I, it's just, You don't respond because, in my mind, I'd just be like, yo, I ain't no punk, yo. I was like, I grew up on, I was on North Avenue Lo- and <laughs> Broadway, Lafayette, yo, I'll take you right back, <laughs> you know, but then I'd be like, but that's not going to make Jesus look good. <laughs> so I'd be like, you right, you right, you know, God bless you, have a good day, <laughs> you know. Um, So... And again, in my mind, I go home and be like, yo, yo, they, they're gonna think I'm weak, man, because I ain't say but then I'm like, but you know what? It's not about that. Right? It's a, it's about my response is supposed to make Jesus look good. Right? Um and and, and that's what we have to keep in constantly keep in, in the back of our minds that that we are called as Christians, right? Read the whole book of Amos. <laughs> okay. We are called as Christians to fight injustice. That is our calling, but when we do it, we have to do it in a way that doesn't detract from the gospel and make God look bad. Yeah, we got to do it in love, right? So that's that is what I think Peter is trying to is is trying to get across. All right, anything else before we close out? All right, one more week of this. Next week, Chapter 3. <laughs> Wives and Husbands. Wives and Husbands. All right, so we'll be look <laughs> looking at this. Uh, next Sunday, click your schedules. All right. <laughs> what time is the football game next week? I hope it's a bye week. <laughs> now nah, I'm just joking. <laughs> All right, so... um. Um, but again, we'll, we'll be talking about, ab- about this again, people have a problem with the passage saying, wives submit to your husbands. But, I, but again, if you are looking at the code that Paul and Peter is addressing, they're actually li- liberating their wives in this, in, um, by in their comments that they are making. All right. Um, and again, you all heard my, my message two weeks ago. That the emphasis is really on the husbands, all right. The passages on su- wives submitting to their husbands has very little to do with the wives and has a whole lot to do with the husbands. Everybody with me? Because cause that 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 we looked at Ephesians five a couple Sundays ago. The 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 the, the reason your wives have problem with submission is because of you. And, that, and that's Paul's. That's Paul's point, okay? So we're going to talk about this again because the passage comes in the middle of the context of addressing injustices. All right, so we'll be touching on that next week. All right, um, so let us do what we here for today.